0: Hello and welcome to the Believe in Chelsea podcast. I'm your host Rob Prattley, better known as RJP Journalism on Twitter, and this is our first proper episode for the new season, and the first proper episode for this podcast. I'd like to welcome... Any of the new listeners or anyone who's given another podcast a try, anyone who's new to football, new to Sporting Chelsea or indeed potentially new to the Believe Network to this podcast, it's uh, great for you to be listening in and I'm really glad you've come along for the ride. I can promise you that whatever happens, supporting Chelsea and enjoying whatever goes on at Chelsea at all times is never going to be boring. It's the nature of the football club, we just don't do boring, it's not a word in our vocabulary. If you've been living under a rock for the last six months, you may be unaware that the club have actually, in the space of the last six months, a become world champions by winning the FIFA Club World Cup, b been suspended by the Premier League and by the English government for breaching uh, rules relating to Roman Abramovich's ownership of the club and placed under international sanctions, c been sold in a world record sale for any sporting enterprise to the Todd Bowley Clear Lake Capital Group, and d. Also, undergone the their period of pre-season, which has seen them make a number of key signings into the squad, seen some key players depart, and also in general, been a real roller coaster of a ride. There have been wins, there have been losses... And so finally we come to the first day of the Premier League season and that's what the main point we're going to be reviewing in today's episode. We're going to be looking through the first game of the season which was a 1-0 win away at Goodison Park. The curse is finally over. Chelsea have actually managed to win at Goodison Park and the notable thing about that is Chelsea normally only win at Goodison Park in seasons where they go on and win the Premier League. So maybe it's a good omen, we don't know yet at this moment. Other key things we'll be discussing in this episode include the signings that have been made so far. There have been three key first team signings, two very good prospects and there are future signings on the horizon. So we'll cover all of those. Normally this would be about the point where I'd be introducing my guests, however unfortunately for today it's just me. But in future episodes I will be having guests and I will be having them competing in something I like to call the Chelsea Minute to Win It. It'll be five questions and they'll have a minute to answer and for every spare second they get, that'll climb them up the leaderboard. And at the end of the season, the top of the leaderboard, the champion, will win a special prize and the bottom of the leaderboard in the relegation zone will face a special forfeit. But more on that in future episodes. So, firstly, coming on to the game at Goodison Park yesterday, I don't think anyone's going to say it was a footballing classic. It was a bitty, scrappy game pretty common of the start of a new season between two sides that I don't think everyone knows really what to expect of them this year. Chelsea, as said by the manager, are in a period of transition. There's a number of players still to come in and a number of players still to move out of the club. The game was decided in the Added time of the first half, a significant length of added time, an eight-minute stoppage period due to the injury to Ben Godfrey, which resulted in Kaladu Koulibaly's ball through the line, finding Ben Chilwell. Chilwell turned. He was fouled by Abdoulaye Dukouré. Penalty kick. And, of course, Jorginho stepped up, also reminiscent of that Euros final at Wembley against Jordan Pickford. And that day, he, slotted, he didn't slot it away. Today, however, it was a different story. Put it into the bottom left. Pickford had no chance. Everton did improve a little bit during the second half but they were unable to turn it round and in reality Chelsea probably should have added to the scoreline. Once again they were profligate in front of goal despite impressive performances from new signings including Raheem Sterling, Kula, Koulibaly and Mark Kukarea off the bench and it ended 1-0. Looking into the game in a little bit more detail I think a lot of people were actually quite apprehensive for this game. Chelsea have a very poor record at Goodison Park. They lost 1-0 Last year in a game where Jordan Pickford had his annual worldie of the season performance, including one of the best saves of the season when he denied Cesare's Bilicueta. Uh And it was one of the situations that Chelsea looked at and it typified Chelsea of the last year. A lot of possession, but no real incision or cutting edge. And when they did get in, they just didn't really take advantage of the chances that they had. Yesterday, it was a similar story for the most part in the first half. Chelsea had a lot of the ball, but couldn't really break through. They lined up in the standard 3-4-3 formation with Edouard Mendy in goal, captain César Palaqueta on the right of the back three with Thiago Silva in the centre and new signing Kalidou Koulibaly on the left. Ben Chilwell played at left wing-back with Reese James at right wing-back and that left Angolo Conte and Jorginho in the engine room in the midfield. The front three saw Mason Mount, Raheem Sterling and Kai Havertz forming a fluid attack. However, it didn't look anything but fluid in the early minutes, with Chelsea really struggling to break through. They had a lot of corners in the first half, 13 in total, but couldn't really make advantage of them or get many clear-cut goal-scoring opportunities. Their best chances came due to Everton mistakes, one of which, which led to Ben Godfrey's bad injury. His back pass was poor, meaning Pickford had to scramble back, and Pickford's clearance actually went straight to Kai Havertz. In reality, if Harvard's had managed to square it to Raheem Sterling for a tap-in, it would have been disallowed as the ball had gone out of play. However, instead, attention changed to focusing on Ben Godfrey's injury, and subsequently, as a result of that, it led to a lengthy stoppage. The lengthy stoppage didn't really help either side, who were just starting to get into their rhythm, and thus it meant that we returned to a similar pattern. Everton sitting deep, and Chelsea being forced to try and break it down. Chelsea did think they had the breakthrough when Raheem Sterling tapped home from Angolo Conte's fumbled effort by Pickford. However, Sterling was clearly offside. However, in general, it was good to see Sterling occupying the sort of positions that Chelsea attackers didn't normally come into. In the second half, Chelsea started very, very poorly and were grateful from Thiago Silva for an excellent block to Demarai Gray before some penalty box pinball was eventually claimed by Edouard Mendy. However, overall, Chelsea did have a pretty firm grip on the game, and didn't really ever look like losing it. That said, for a lot of it, they didn't really look like creating enough clear-cut chances. The big benefit for Chelsea was the -the off-the-bench substitutes did do the trick. There were some neat little cameos from Christian Pulisic, albeit his decision-making could have been better, and Mark Kukurea the big money signing this week from Brighton, came on and added energy, impetus and real attacking quality. Kukurea was very unlucky not to get a first assist as his cutback found Raheem Sterling, but Sterling's effort was well blocked by the Everton defender Vitali Michalenko. Overall, I think Chelsea will be happier with the result than the performance. This was by no means vintage swashbuckling football. However, It's more important on the opening day to firstly not lose and to secondly take three points. The clean sheet is always welcome and once again Thiago Silva rolled back the years with a vintage, vintage defensive display. Silva was responsible for one tackle, three interceptions, four clearances and only committing two fouls. He was named the official man of the match and to be honest it was very hard to disagree with it. In fact, it's probably very hard to say in world football that pound for pound there's been a better free transfer over the last five years than Thiago Silva. Attention for Chelsea now can turn to the other key matters. It's clear that Thomas Tuchel in his post-match interview still wants to bolster the squad and add additional options to the side. At the moment, we've already discussed there have been three signings. Raheem Sterling came in from Manchester City for a fee of around 45 million pounds that could rise to 55 million. The experienced England international was somewhat sidelined by Pep Guardiola last year who preferred to use a more fluid attack and rely on other options. He also had the issue of trying to fit in stars like Jack Grealish who had been sp- bought for significant fees the previous summer. Consequently, Sterling chose a different path and has decided to return to his roots in West London. Sterling's debut performance was very very impressive in the first half. He linked up well, showed a lot of energy and looked particularly good on the half turn and in the half space. Although the goal didn't come, it's clear that Sterling will be in amongst them just because of the sheer amount he gets into the box. He also at the moment isn't completely match sharp and you do feel that when the sharpness does come, some of the things that maybe took 2 seconds will take just 1 second and maybe even half a second. He's very much an instinct player and the sort of player that Chelsea probably needed to add to the squad. They needed goals and assists, and Sterling provides them in absolute abundance. He is a real quality signing, and I think a real mark for the new ownership, the Bowley Clear Lake group, because they wanted to try and persuade him. Thomas Tuchel has talked about him being the top target, and it's very easy to see why. From a defensive point of view, let's talk about Kaladu Koulibaly. Koulibaly has been someone who Chelsea have tried to sign, multiple times in the past, most notably under Antonio Conte in that infamous 2016 summer window. Conte had ambitious plans for adding key players in a number of positions in order to change a title-winning squad into a Champions League battling squad. Instead, he ended up getting signings he didn't really want and that caused a lot of friction which ultimately led to the coach departing Chelsea the following summer. Kaladu Koulibaly, as one of those signings that Conte wanted, it's clear to see why. He's an absolute colossus, a real monster at the back, but that isn't just doing him justice, he's a very, very good footballer as well. His passing through the lines was particularly impressive, and what was really good to see was how calm he managed to stay under pressure. He made one very good defensive header in the first half, as Dwight McNeil attempted to try and get onto Damari Gray's whip cross, and a number of his passes out from the back were with real assurance, punching their way through the lines in order to try and help Chelsea build attacks. The penalty incident actually came from Koulibaly moving up into the midfield and passing through the lines to find Ben Chilwell on the half turn. It's also worth noting with Koulibaly that I think alongside Thiago Silva, they had such leadership and experience from the back, along with club captain Cesar Azpilicueta. He was extremely vocal and was constantly trying to manipulate and move other players around on the pitch to ensure the defensive shape remained strong and stable. I think Koulibaly is the sort of signing that Chelsea really did need. Losing Antonio Rudiger and Andreas Christensen, two big players for the club, was not necessarily the best way for the new ownership to come in. It's very clear that Thomas Tuchel does want more centre backs, and with players still to go out, including Malang Saar, Marcus Alonso, and Emerson, it's pretty clear that more defensive comings will come in. However, in Kaladu Koulibaly, I think they've managed to get someone for the price who is absolutely world class and even though he is 31, that isn't necessarily old for a defender. Some of the best defensive performances come as players, although their legs may go, their wisdom and their intelligence on the pitch increases to the level that they can simply just think two or three steps ahead and snuff out attacks. Koulibaly also clearly is extremely strong in the air. He won a number of his duels yesterday and I think Chelsea fans are just looking forward to seeing more and more of him. There's also already a fantastic chant for the player. I won't ruin anyone's eardrums by making them have to listen to it at this moment in time, but I really recommend it. It's a very good one. Finally, we've got the other new signing, Mark Kukurea. Mark Kukurea is an interesting one, as for a lot of this window, it looked like he was going to go to Manchester City. Manchester City have lost a number of key players in Raheem Sterling, Alexander Zinchenko and there are still questions over players like Bernardo Silva too. It looked like that they were going to go for Mark Kukurea in order to bolster their left-back options because at the moment they're playing João Cancelo, an actual right-back in that position. However, Brighton and Hove Albion stuck very closely to their valuation for Mark Kukurea. This is understandable. He had an excellent first year in England coinciding with winning both the Brighton's Fans Player of the Year and the Players Player of the Year awards in his first year at the club. He's also had previous experience coming through La Masia's academy, famed for producing brilliant Barcelona prospects, and also did very, very well whilst he was on loan and then permanently at Hatafe in Spain, as they enjoyed several successful years. However, Cucurea moving to Chelsea was a bit of a watershed moment because of the fee involved. It is a very very significant fee, potentially rising up to around 62 million pounds. This raises a couple of questions. Number one, did the club really need him when they've got Ben Chilwell? Number two, do we really want to see inflation in football where after one year a player goes from being worth fifteen million to suddenly being worth sixty million? I'm not really going to talk too much about the inflation next year. It's not my money and it's not really one of the things that's you know big in football these days, low prices and bargain deals it's very, very hard to get a very good quality player for cheap because clubs simply know that it will cost more to replace them. At the same time, Kukurea had a long time left on his contract at Brighton and they were in no position to need to sell. Indeed, it was more the player's willingness to want to make the move and want to make the change that made this deal happen. He wanted to leave the club and formally did hand a transfer request, which probably facilitated it. In terms of whether Chelsea need him as well as Ben Chilwell, I prefer not to see it as a case of competition, but more of a case of having that added squad depth. The best Chelsea sides in history have been those that have had the strongest squad depth. And Mark Kukurea, already in his cameo appearance yesterday, proved that he adds brilliant incision, energy and also impetus into the side. Whether it is starting alongside Ben Chilwell as a left centre-back, as he is adept at doing, or playing instead of Chilwell at left wing-back or left-back, Cucurea provides reassurance and quality in that position. Whilst Marcus Alonso was not a very bad left wing-back, indeed he was very capable in that position, he very much struggled as a left-back. Conversely, while Emerson Palmieri looked okay at left-back, he struggled with the wing-back role. Mark Cucurea can do both of these and also play left centre-back, which suddenly makes that transfer fee a little bit more palatable. However, as we've already said before, Chelsea clearly want multiple other signings still to come in. They've also brought in Gabriel Slonina and Karni Chukwemeka, who are two young top prospects in world football, as well as Amari Hutchinson, who has been plucked from Arsenal's academy in a somewhat surprising deal. However, Thomas Tuchel has been bullish about the chances of bringing in multiple players still in this window, and it's very clear he feels that he would have liked them to have come in earlier. This obviously wasn't possible because of the sanctions and then indeed the new ownership that's taken over. There have been other wrangles and issues that they've got to get past. However, at the same time, I think it's now very, very clear that with the season starting, Chelsea needs to get these final pieces of the Jigsaw over the line. At this moment in time, I think Chelsea are looking to try and bring in at least two, possibly three or four more permanent signings in this window. The key ones at the moment in time are Wesley Fofana and Frankie de Jong. On Wesley Fofana, Leicester City have already rejected several big offers for the player in upwards of valuation of a total package of seventy-five million pounds for the most recent offer. However, Chelsea really do want the player and I do expect them to go back in for a subsequent offer very, very soon. As I've said before, people will know that I like to use the phrase something can be done when a transfer is close. I don't necessarily think with Fafana we're quite at the something-can-be-done stage, but I think we are being very, very, very close to that point. Leicester City are finally now starting to accept that they need to sell players in order to make acquisitions this summer, and with the in- Newcastle's interest in James Madison also waning, it means that Fafana is suddenly the next one on the proverbial chopping block, if a big enough offer did come in. As I've said before, Leicester won't be want to be able to spin this—that it was an offer that was too good to be turned down. So Chelsea must know that they will have to pay an extremely pretty penny in order to bring the player in. You're talking of upwards of 75 towards 80 million pounds in order to get the deal done. However, at the same time, you look at the opportunity of this. Fofana is young, he is Premier League experience, he has real quality and he has also already proven his ability before in multiple games against Chelsea and in other big games for Leicester City as well. The player is someone who I think next summer would have been looking for the step up and potentially with the fact that there is now some questions over some of Didier Deschamps' squad for the Qatar World Cup, it's quite clear that Fofana, if he had the choice, would make the move to Stamford Bridge. So, it's one to watch certainly in the next couple of days. The other key name is Frankie de Jong, who seems to have been one of the longest running transfer sagas of the summer. For a long, long time, it seemed that Manchester United were going to secure the signing. They've had a fee agreed with Barcelona for a significant amount of time, of around €85 million Euros for the Dutch international. However, it's now increasingly becoming clear that de Jong is not keen on the move to Manchester United. I've been told by my sources that De Jong really, really, really won't consider it any possibility. He would only even is considering the offer initially because of the presence of Eric Ten Hag, a manager who he's worked with before and a manager who knows him very, very well. However, it's now clear that due to other issues at Manchester United, Ali Dursen, De Jong's representative, has advised him not to consider the move at all. Consequently, this means that he either stays at Barcelona or moves to Chelsea. Barcelona need to move the player on because they have significant issues with their wage bill. They need to reduce it in order to be able to register their new signings, having had an extremely lucrative summer, spending a lot of money by selling off future income. Although Barcelona would not like to sell Frankie Dion, indeed they would rather he take a wage cut, Dion is not very keen on this solution and that's understandable. After all, why would you suddenly just cut your salary because someone else told you to? Consequently, Chelsea are extremely keen on exploring it, and they do believe they can reach an agreement with Barcelona. The issue is getting an agreement with Frankie de Jong over whether he will come. However, with Frankie de Jong, it is becoming increasingly clear that something can indeed be done from a Chelsea perspective, and you may well hear about it in the next few days. I don't think the sale of Marcus Alonso will be intrinsically tied to Frankie de Jong. I think that will probably happen beforehand. It's very, very rare that deals intertwine like that. However, at the same time, I think it is quite clear that Chelsea have used the opportunities for negotiations over Marcus Alonso and also the longer negotiations over Cesar Azpilicueta in order to facilitate these discussions over Frankie de Jong. I think Chelsea hold the advantage because they have Champions League football and also because London is generally viewed as a more attractive city to live in than Manchester. Tuchel has also tried to buy Frankie de Jong before and that will also probably help to sway the players' mind. So if Chelsea bring in these two players they will obviously need to move some players out and we're already seeing the wheels turning on Timo Werner who looks like he's going to go back to RB Leipzig. At the moment I'm not quite sure if this is a permanent deal if it's a loan deal or if it's a loan option to buy. I was told that The primary option for Chelsea was to be trying to get him out on a permanent deal in order to get the revenue in and in order to resolve other situations, but we'll have to wait and see. Certainly, Callum Hudson-Odoi would also like to go. He'd like to go and get regular minutes and he has interest from a number of clubs in the Premier League, including Southampton and Leicester, as well as clubs around Europe, including Juventus. Hudson-Odoi is someone whose position at Chelsea has always been somewhat questioned because of the fact he's had that horrible Achilles injury and a year of regular football out on loan might be the best way to actually help him really kick on and show what he can do. He still has a, quite a long contract with the club, however it's getting to a point now where they need to be seeing him really kick on and show the returns that made him such a highly sought-after and promising young player. There's also the case of players like Emerson Palmieri and Malang Saar, who would like to leave the club in order to get regular first-team football. There is question marks over the future of Billy Gilmore, who indeed may find himself going to Everton. Frank Lampard is a big, big fan of the player and may look to make something happen in the forthcoming week. However, Everton are also bringing in multiple midfielders themselves and Gilmore may be wary to go somewhere for first-team minutes. One player that doesn't look like he'll be leaving Chelsea this window is Armando Breuer. Broya was subject to a large bid from West Ham and indeed was very keen on exploring the move. However, Chelsea have now spoken to the player and have managed to offer assurances to him that he will have an involvement in the club. Consequently, as a result of that, it's quite clear that Tuchel is now trying to offer him that pathway. And that's probably a good thing because Broya did show real promise last season whilst on loan at Southampton. However, it's clear that Chelsea do still want to bring another attacker into the club. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's name is being mentioned as someone who Thomas Tuchel would really, really like. Tuchel has previously worked with Aubameyang at Borussia Dortmund, and indeed, he knows the Premier League well, having scored a number of goals in the Premier League for local rivals Arsenal. I will say the last time Chelsea signed a striker from Arsenal in Olivier Giroud, it didn't turn out too badly. However... Aubameyang has had issues before with his discipline and also with issues with his attitude, which were the reasons why he actually ended up leaving Arsenal. You can see these playing out currently at this moment in time in an Amazon Prime documentary. But enough of that. I think it's worth noting that Aubameyang is the sort of player that would come in and probably guarantee 15-20 to 20 goals if he stayed fit. However, is it worth the opportunity cost of disrupting the dressing room? This is also the other reason why Chelsea haven't pursued Cristiano Ronaldo this summer, despite the player being clearly available, at least in his eyes. He's obviously an extreme talent and a rare prodigy, one of the greatest players of all time. However, he is not a young player and subsequently Chelsea possibly want to start looking towards the future. That said, Aubameyang is not really very young either. He's 32, so it's not really as if Chelsea are looking long term with that solution as well. They did consider Robert Lewandowski this summer. Again, not really a long-term solution, but it is quite clear that Chelsea, if that world-class forward does become available, I think Chelsea will go in for them. If I was to predict, I think there might be at least one attacking signing on a permanent deal, and there may be an attempt, a loan deal, for someone like Aubameyang, or potentially even for Ronaldo. I think that that might suit the club a little bit more, as they won't be tied to it, and they would just have to take the wage investment. However, making the other club agree to that will be extremely difficult what is certain is that the final week of the final week coming up at before tottenham and also the final weeks of the transfer window are going to be extremely busy chelsea still need to do a lot of business and indeed with the fact that they have Been unable to do business earlier in the window due to sorting out issues following the sanctions and also the takeover, it became very, very clear that business was going to be somewhat rushed and somewhat chaotic this window, as it has been. However, at this moment in time, the signings look to be exemplary signings. They look to be excellent quality that Chelsea have got, albeit for a significant outlay. And it's clear that outlay is going to continue. So maybe that raises the question, do Chelsea put all the eggs in the basket this summer and look for significant signings now to undergo the period of transition and then subsequently take leaner approaches next year. Maybe that's something why they're considering bringing in a director of football right now. The key names on that list are Michael Edwards, uh, Maxwell and also Paul Mitchell. Edwards is definitely the club's favourite and indeed they have already presented a very impressive package to him. However, he's very keen on trying to take his sabbatical from football. Paul Mitchell is someone who has a lot of experience before in England and might well be a very much a backup, whereas Maxwell has previously worked with Thomas Tuchel. It's very clear that the sporting structure the new owners want to put in place is one to that of very much backing Thomas Tuchel and giving Thomas Tuchel exactly what he wants to succeed. You see the same aspect of it on the, for CFCW with Emma Hayes and also at the academy with Neil Bath. Clearly they are having a lot of say and involvement in what is going on in this transfer window and indeed with the club structure but it's now time to focus on next week's game. There's a key game coming up for next week and it's already one of those games that you look at on the calendar and you mark with a red ring. Chelsea versus Tottenham. Tottenham traditionally have a very poor record at Stamford Bridge. Indeed, they lost four t- and a very poor record at Chelsea in general. Indeed, they lost four times in just over a month against the club last year. However, at the same time, it's worth noting that Tottenham this season are expected to compete with Antonio Conte in charge, he will demand nothing but the best from his club. He's been bolstered by a number of key signings to improve positions, including Gilles Bissouma from Brighton and Jed Spence coming in from Middlesbrough. They also boast one of the most formidable attacks in the division in Dejan Kulusevski, Min Son and, of course, captain Harry Kane. However, there is also the fact that they are Spursy and subsequently they may, you know, just bottle it on the big day. It'll be really interesting to see how both sides do. Spurs enjoyed an impressive opening day victory against Southampton coming from behind and looked very fluid in their attack. Chelsea looked the exact opposite in their game against Everton, but still managed to get the key 1-0 victory. And indeed, grinding out a 1-0 victory at a difficult ground with a team that isn't necessarily up to full speed can be seen as a very good sign. However, at the same time, People will expect Tottenham to be there or thereabouts this year, just purely due to the fact that Conte is such a meticulous taskmaster and demands nothing more than perfection. The key battles, I think, next week will be how the Tottenham defence handle Raheem Sterling's movement in a, around the final third, and also how Chelsea manage to cope up with their defence against Dejan Kulisevsky, Harry Kane and human son. This is why it might not surprise you to see Mark Kukurea and Ben Chilwell both playing in order to double up on Kulisevski because they both have pace and energy in order to combat the Swedes' impressive performances. However, on the other side, that will then require Rhys James to be incredibly tough and disciplined when coming up against Hume Min and Harry Kane will again try and have try and battle against Thiago Silva and Kaladu Koulibaly. From an attacking point of view, Chelsea really need to see more out of Kai Havertz or whoever leads the line. And that's why I think a move for a striker might come sooner rather than later. They will want to get them in in order to bed them in and start getting the goals. But at this moment in time, we have to reflect on an impressive opening day win. It's impressive in the sense that the result is good, not necessarily the performance. But in reality, the three points is what really matters at the end of the day. Chelsea, far too often last season, went through games playing well but being unable to get that goal or have that cutting edge or have that ability to hold out a result. They managed all of that at Goodison Park and subsequently that does bode well for the season. So, interestingly, it will now be time to see can Chelsea follow up that result with a victor against Tottenham which would really stand as a marker for Thomas Ducal's side. Join us next week as we discuss that game And we also discuss any future transfers that happen before then and there. I've been Rob Prattley. This is Believe in Chelsea. And you've been wonderful. Have a great day.